0: We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. justice Hello, everybody. This is Shane Claiborne, and I am so glad you could join me for the show today. I got uh, a a friend that I'm going to be talking to today who well here here's the deal i'm not going i'm not going uh i'm not going to spoiler it for you i'm just going to introduce him because we've known each other all the way back to the 1900s uh over 25 years or so So, this is my friend and my brother uh chris lar who is now doing all kinds of incredible racial justice work in the fine state of indiana but we met here in Philly, uh what's up, buddy? Uh, we we we—he's older than I am, so you're hitting the big five-zero this year.
1: Yeah, 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 <laughs> right. right. i officially I, it all out there. I saw a sign that said there's a senior event for people fifty and older. I'm like, what the heck? I got a couple months, yeah, bro, and I'm a senior.
0: Free coffee at McDonald's, boom. <laughs> um, but. So I strolled into Eastern University, the wonderful liberal arts college that uh, Chris and I graduate from, uh, fresh out of water, like Southern East Tennessee boy. Um, and I met Chris and you were one of the first people that took me you know, to hang out downtown. And I mean, it, it changed the course of my life. All, I mean, a lot of things through all that, but especially like seeing and meeting people Not just people who didn't have homes, but people who shattered all of my uh, kind of stereotypes and categories, you know, that knew the Bible better than me that we hung out with all night long and missed class sometimes, but um that was transformative for me. And I, you know, I think it was for you too, right? So yes. Yes. And thank you for helping me through Greek class, because uh, if you weren't so Hel- smart, helping. I wouldn't have got such a good grade. But with, <laughs> with the air quotes, the helping, uh, at least Doc Hall, our, our Greek yeah. professor knows that I, yeah. I helped you with you. You tutored group, me. So, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah well i don't know that greek is on the um theological <laughs> test when, w- after we die anyway but it is fun to know but how can you do can you do your greek alpha alpha beta a uh, little, little of it yeah Delta, okay F-com well
1: beta, so
0: yeah, whatever. <laughs> just fratern- fraternities you know but um Yeah, so, I mean, say a little bit about the backdrop. So I don't even know if I know all of it, like how you ended up at Eastern and also like how that shaped the sort of narrative of your own life and spirituality, right?
1: Yeah, well, for me, uh, you know, I grew up in a little town called Huntington, Indiana, which is today about 96 or 97 percent white, um, which is a lot more diverse than it was when I lived there. Um, and I kind of came came to Jesus right before my senior year of high school. And uh, it was kind of life changing for me immediately. And I just knew I wanted to serve God. And uh, I just uh, started my mom worked at uh, Huntington College, and I could go to some universities that were connected to that. And so I looked at Eastern. And when I went to Eastern to check it out, I was enthralled because it wasn't the real stuffy religious type thing. You know, somebody said, you know, you can uh, be a Christian if you want to be, you don't have to be. And I said, this kind of environment, I can be authentic for Jesus and that. And so, uh, and really for me, uh, my world changed the first night. Um, it was the first night I went there, uh, my mom and dad, my mom was crying. Oh, I miss my, my, my son, my, my dad was baby. Like, finally, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but there was a group of, of African American folks standing around singing this song called uh, Perfect Praise by Soul Children of Chicago. And it forever changed me. I was, I never heard gospel music, except if you count the Jeffersons moving on up to the, you know, that kind of thing. But I never in my life heard it. And, uh, and I got so enthralled by it that I started finding out that they were a choir. And then I started attending the choir practices as long haired metalhead and as, Predominantly African American choir, and it's, for me, it just developed friendships and and that sort of thing through that. And uh, and I started getting into the cities uh to uh, I started traveling with them. I became the first ever and the only ever Angels of Harmony groupie, and so yep. and with that we started traveling, and I and that's where my world view was w- blown right open and to seeing the city and stuff like that. And it wasn't the, the second year. That I actually started uh connecting with people who are homeless and started going down into the streets and hanging out with homeless folks. And I think I met you yeah. my third year, and that's when we started going down and sleeping on the streets and, and just hanging out a lot. So
0: yeah, yeah. And um uh, and and for the record, uh, you still don't know how to sing very much at all. Uh, but we did we did uh get inspired by the you know, okay, here's the deal. Chris was a death metal band <laughs> singer. Yeah, before. you know it's called the the dead puppies wasn't it
1: yeah well i had a dead puppies yeah a little bit you had a few
0: different bands a couple of them
1: yeah wannabe <laughs> bands They're more like wannabe bands dead puppies mortuary but you don't no.
0: you don't sing in a death metal band you just sort of right can, right you can don't, you don't give have us a to sample can you, give, can, you, can you give us a sample of a like a, a lyric a PG a rated lyric on your death. I, I don't
1: have any of those, man. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: um, so you found the sweet Lord Jesus. We ended up at Easter and we started going down, you know, hanging out with folks on the street. And um, and out of that, you know, the simple way was born out of that. There are all kinds of things that happened in between. You and I both spent a bunch of time in India, uh, and we're really shaped by Mother Teresa and, and the sisters and their their work. That kind of idea that we're doing small things with great love, and that's the stuff that changes the world. So that, I mean, all that's like happening, right? And then, um, but you 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 also really began to have, as a white guy from Indiana, began to really pay a lot of attention to race. And I mean, that's that's a lot of the work that you're doing now, is Jesus rooted, faith rooted work, but it's also racial justice work. So uh, the, you know, Angels of Harmony, the gospel choir was a part of that, but were there a few other like kind of milestones along the way that, that you found that vocation that you're doing now?
1: Yeah, I think far, part of it is we were, my wife and I considering we were living in Kentucky. I went from Eastern to Asbury Seminary, did some seminary there. And, uh, and while we're there, uh, you know, we talked about, thought about we were going to become missionaries. And then uh, the the organization we were gonna go with rejected us.
0: Go figure. (laughs) Whatever. You know what I mean. And uh, but wait, you were in a death metal band. Wait, that doesn't exactly qualify you for.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. Right. They're like, nah, you're too radical. So, so, but anyway, long story short, we uh, you can send uh, me a message if you want to know the real story. But um, the but we've started as we started kind of hanging out and developing a community, we realized that you know what. There's not a whole lot of missionary, the word missionary in the Bible anyway. That it's more talked about neighboring than there is missionary. And so, no matter where you live, even the connotation of missionary a lot of times is someone who has the answer, has the power, and, and is the one in control. And whereas a neighbor kind of comes in and and lives among the people. And and so by then we had been in contact with all the stuff growing in. Uh, the simple way and in Philly. And so we decided to come move and down the block and be part of the simple way community and, uh, and, and really practicing neighboring. And that really began the shift, you know, and I remember, you know, really the only thing I regret about moving to Philly was, uh, bringing my in-laws on move day. Cause we were driving, driving down the street and they're thinking I'm crazy anyway. And we couldn't get down the block cause there's a drug bus on Westmoreland street. And so we couldn't get down. And, uh, my father-in-law just looks at me and goes, does this always happen? I was like, I don't know. I never lived here before, but, but I found during that time there, uh, living on Westmoreland, we found the value of being a neighbor and, uh, our neighbor next door. I mean, it was, um, she was kind of a recluse. She never came out, but you could hear her yelling through the walls all the time at her, at her boyfriend. And, And, uh, you know, we would uh, just kind of get to know her and hang out with her a little bit. And and she started to to get to become a friend of our family, even though she wasn't a friend to anybody else, really. And one day I was sitting on the on the um, porch. And uh, I mean, it was an interesting neighborhood. It's like watching the news, you know, just sit on the front porch and watch the nightly news. And and she was out there sitting or standing, talking to a neighbor. And I'll never forget. after she And I was just kind of ignoring her. She looked at me. She says, you know what? She goes, I just talked to a neighbor and I'm thinking, Mm. so what? You want a sticker? (laughs) You know, like who cares? You know, you talk to a neighbor. She goes, no, you don't understand. She goes, I'm the neighborhood witch. I don't talk to anybody. That's sort of the Mm. Christian version of what she said. But she said, I don't talk to anybody. She goes, but I see the way you interact with neighbors Mm. and it makes me feel good. And, And it makes me want to do the same. And she goes, and the way I see you and your wife, she goes, and when working on your marriage, it Gives me hope that I can be in a relationship too. And uh, and so I realized mm-hmm. some of the most radical things we can do is just be present because that's what Jesus did in the incarnation. He moved into the neighborhood and it just was. And we mm-hmm. ended up moving, you know, after two years to another neighborhood. But uh, we had a van load of food and we went by uh her house, Diane's house, and we saw her. We're like, Hey, what's up? We got some food we're gonna take to the church neighborhood. Uh, you interested in uh, you know, in any she goes, Yeah, yeah. So she started taking some food out of the van and then she said, do you have enough for my neighbors? And so she went from the neighborhood witch to Mrs. Rogers. And so she started calling all the neighbors (laughs) down the block saying, hey, come out, we got, and she ended up being like the neighborhood block captain almost like where she was connected to all that. And so, you know, I I seen the radical, being radical, like we weren't preachy, we just lived in the presence of, of folks. And it was in the presence of living in Philly that ultimately began to, uh, Um, You know, and and being in a place as a minority that I began to uh, see things differently. And and Mm -hmm. funny enough, it wasn't until I started working with Mission Year, which was brought in a lot of white folk from out of town into the city that I really began to be more self-reflective because I realized like I had to sit there and go like, all right, I got to work with white folk again. Uh, what is this going to be like, you know, and, and, and it, then I realized I have to look at my own self, I have to look at my own culture, and, and, and I haven't arrived, you know, and, and we're, being anti racist, it's about a journey, not just something you do, or you move into a certain neighborhood and now you're cool, but it's a lifelong journey. And so really is working with missionary that I begin to reflect on myself and my own history.
0: Yeah, so if y'all are just listening in, uh, this is Shane Claiborne. I'm the host of the show, and I've been talking with my buddy, Chris Lahr, who, if you've read any of my books, you, you've got a Chris Lahr story or two in there, and he's also, he's a little he's a little older than me, but not old enough to be a mentor as much as just a really good friend, kind of like a big brother. And we've been walking this walk together for uh, over two decades, uh, trying to follow Jesus, going to India, living in North Philly, and Before we get to the work that you're doing now, man, in in in, uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, is I want you know you you, you've been kind of critical of turning people into projects and programs, and rather than just being a neighbor, um, many people start ministries where you kind of professionalize or you compartmentalize the kind of holy work we do in the neighborhood. And uh, you've been a part of a lot of projects that are not about getting people into the buildings, the church buildings, but actually getting people out of the buildings and into the streets. And, you know, so talk a little bit about um, Timoteo and some of the other work that you you've just had a hand in. There's all kinds of great leaders here in the neighborhood that started with pastors here in North Philadelphia and Kensington. But you um, you kind of went in and, and said, how can I show up and help? How can I serve? And. Um, and, and that's been, you know, a massive part of, of some of the most redemptive stuff happening in North Philly is are these things that we've gotten to be a part of together. Right. 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 And I think, uh, you know, one of the things
1: I've learned about myself and about white folk in particular is we like to fix things and we we like to do things. And, um, and I've learned that what we need to do is even though everybody has gifts, when you move into a new neighborhood you have to earn the right to use your gifts and so that's one of the things i learned first when i was in, in in philly uh you know we started going to a little church called iglesia del barrio and when i went in we just went and just was and you know we just were present you know and it wasn't like you know hey i'm from seminary and I, i'm i'm a minister i can help out i can preach i can work no we just sat there and just showed up showed up showed up and began getting invited. To, to, to folks parties and things like that and love puerto rican food you know and we started getting into it and it wasn't until i got invited to work with the youth you know that i began going in and kind of been able to use my gifts and it, but it was about establishing the relationship and then even with this thing for several years i worked with a a group called Timoteo, which is Spanish for Timothy, and uh, it was a, a mentoring program there in the city that used flag football and, and basketball and other sports to kind of mentor youth and to raise up leaders in the community, and, uh, and and even that, like, it was beautiful because it was a, a collection of people, and it was being invited, and it was a kid in my youth group that said, hey, there's this flag football league, and uh, we want to be a part of it. Can you coach us? And so it's then, I just didn't do it myself, but I got all the youth workers together. We created an army of folks to go out there and help coach these kids and kind of take things to the next level. And I've learned that uh, even moving here to Indiana, and I've had 20 years experience in in Philly, it doesn't mean squat for the people here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I have to earn the right. I have to build those relationships and do the work to get to know people personally.
0: yeah. And you've done some pretty creative things, too, like to try to um, find your own social location among, you know, a lot of other leaders that have been in the neighborhood longer than you or that are from this neighborhood, grew up here their whole life. And one of the things I remember you doing is doing these cross-cultural mission trips, right, to where um, your missions, you want to totally rethink how you do it, right? So you took some kids from North Philly, uh, which is... Uh, predominantly concrete, uh, very racially mixed, but a lot of Latino, a lot of African-American uh, young people here. And Fort Wayne, Indiana, or Huntington, Indiana is very white. So you you did this kind of, let's go there. Let's listen and learn and see how we can serve. And let's bring them here and listen and learn, and see how we can serve here. And now you're back over there. So we'll get there. But talk about what you learned through all that. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, it was, uh, I was, in Huntington, Indiana, uh, and we're talking with this girl who's a youth pastor. And she said, Hey, I think I would love to bring some people to, um, Philly for a, um, I, so, so I wanted to go to Philly to, for a, a, a mission trip. And I said, that's great. Well, I think I'll bring some of my guys from Philly to Huntington for a, a mission trip. And she goes, well, she was puzzled and she goes, what, what would they do? And I said, well, nothing, just like you, nothing, but they'll get a lot out of it, you know? And so often mission trips are, are just spent time and all that. And and so we brought, uh, so I did, I brought a group of kids over and we had a thing called Operation Backyard, which I ended up was the speaker for that. But then we also, I had some of the other coaches come in and also speak to the community and speak as well. And, uh, and the kids loved it. And uh, we had an, a great experience. And what was interesting is I've worked with a lot of ki- people, white folk coming into the city who were scared out of their minds but then the reverse was happening that the people in the city were scared of coming to come into small town indiana because they were uh, it was the unknown and one of the things shane and i learned when we were in south africa and rwanda was this phrase called Ubuntu. and it's basically yeah. i am who i am because we are who we are and I cannot, and Dr. King said, I cannot be all that I need to be until you're all that you need to be. And you can't be all that you need to be until I'm all that I need to be. But that so often doesn't happen because we're not connected. And and and, and so part of it is learning to build connections with each other, building those relationships across cultures, and then introducing folks together, walking alongside with each other, de- dealing with the fears and, and, and things that people have. And so I found that that was really Fruitful in those relationships, and that's really been yeah. helpful here as well in Fort Wayne.
0: Yeah, uh, and and so now, what you know, I think you've talked a lot about raci- racism. You've written about it. You're doing a PhD and all that stuff. So I got to call you Doctor soon, right? Um, but uh, the talk a little bit about the the. Way that you've talked about racism as a disease, you know, and sometimes being yeah. symptomatic, other times being asymptomatic, and because uh, it's, I think it's a helpful metaphor.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, when the Rona busted out and we started just kind of uh, hanging out and stuff, uh, I started seeing correlations between the virus of COVID versus the virus of racism. Whereas, you know, the virus of, you know, if, if I go into, you know, say a store, a Walmart or something, and I'm going in, I'm hacking away a <laughs> coffin. It's like the plague. It's like, oh, here comes the leper. You know, everybody stay away. And and uh, I'm, I'm symptomatic. And so people stay away from that. And then uh, um, and I found that there's also symptomatic racism. And that's the saying the N word or, or KKK. It's it's the brutal lynchings and, and killings and, and all this brutal racism, in your face racism. And what I found is that a lot of white folks aren't racist like that. You know, they're like, I'm not interested in that. That's not me. But what also the fastest spreader of the disease of COVID is the asymptomatic symptoms. So I'm like, I'm not hacking, but I dap you up. Hey, all right, Shane, and I just got my spit all over you. He has a spit phobia, by the way. And uh, you know, and all of a sudden, you have the Rona. And it's the same way we have subtle acts of exclusion and microaggressions and and a colorblind racism that exists in in, in America in the world. That uh, is also spreading, and, and racism is rooted in culture. Culture is like a water to a fish; it doesn't know that, that 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 water exists until it pulls up out of it. And so often, especially in America, racism has been rooted in our culture. Unless we pull up out of it, we're unable to see the asymptomatic things of it. So we've been kind of creative and creating some things to begin to,
0: uh, to to deal with that racism. You know, by the way, uh, Reverend Otis Moss III, he's got a good sermon on that too, right? The whole uh, uh, conf- confederate disease that we've had going oh, back yeah. 400 years, but uh, it's, it's the same idea, right? So the, the, this disease of racism that, uh, you know, Dr. King said, uh, that that our history can be like a festering wound, right? That yeah. if it remains untreated, it just it doesn't go away. It just keeps getting worse and worse. I mean, COVID's a little bit like that, you know, a gash mm-hmm. on your arms a little bit like that. Uh, but our history's a little bit like that too, to where we've kind of tried to just move on, or we've tried to create mythology and theology that defends and justifies the things that we did. And so now, you know, you're a white guy that spent a lot of your life in communities where you are a minority as a white person but now you're back in Indiana um, where you say it's 97 percent white which is more than it was when you were growing up uh, uh, or it's, it's more people of color than when you were growing up and yet it's still got that history and I think it's helpful for people to hear what you're doing now because it also invites uh, everyone listening to think what can I do where I am? You know, maybe I am right, not right, moving right. into a neighborhood where I'm a minority, but maybe I can do some hard truth-telling, uh, you know, reparative work in the context I'm in. So give us a little backdrop and tell us what you're up to now okay, in so Fort Wayne.
1: There's just real quick, there's three ways to kind of deal with the virus of racism. And there's many ways, but just real quick is one is, you got to have uh, the, like, we wear a mask. I wear a mask to protect myself from you, right? Uh, and, or protect you from me. And I call it the mask of self-reflection. And so basically what this is, is because um, hit the racism is rooted in, culture which is rooted in history, we must be able to understand our histories. And so the the next one is uh, to wash our hands. I know like, you know, Fauci didn't say just wash your hands in the morning and you're done with it, right? No, you gotta keep washing your hands. And one of the things I find with many white folks is that They're afraid to say anything or do anything or be anti-racist because they might say the wrong things and they end up being so passive and isolated from people of color and from others that they don't do anything. So we have to be able to wash our hands and make mistakes and go forward. And the last one is... social distancing. In the virus of COVID, we got to be six feet, but in the virus of racism, it's six inches. And we have to build our face-to-face relationship, authentic relationship. But back to the mask of self-reflection, one of the things that is is interesting is that we have to know our histories. And so one of the things I've done is I've created reality tours of Fort Wayne, Huntington, and Marion, these places around here that tell the history of why things are the way they are. One example is we have a street named Calhoun in the middle of Fort Wayne, which is a vital main street that was one of the first, it was the first street named in 1824, and it was named after a racist guy named John Calhoun, which was a uh, vice president. And, uh, and, and and now nobody knows who Calhoun is. But back then when it was created, the very foundation, not only was he a, a slave owner, but he said slavery was a blessing and a common good. And so people would have known what he was about and what he mm. represented when they laid the foundations of our streets on white supremacy. And so now I'm working with the MLK uh, Club and the NAACP to be able to work to change that name as a symptom of like, hey, this is a way that we can change the trajectory of history and uh, and also created the reality tour of Fort Wayne and I took some kids who I've been working with through a live outreach uh, uh, organization that we did a Peacemakers Academy and so we're working with Southside kids from the community and, and and showing them where the violence comes from where this why there's segregation still in our city why there's still racism both symptomatic and asymptomatic in our city and being able to go back to the roots and be reflective on those things and it's been and it's been good. We've been able to really tie together. I live actually in Fort Wayne, which is much more diverse than the hometown I grew up in. And we have black folk, white folk, Asian folk, all working together to to learn deeper history so that we can begin making changes.
0: Mm -hmm. So we just got a minute or so left. Tell us, like, you know, I I think when Dr. King lamented that the most segregated hour in the world is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, you know, when the church gathers for worship. Um, where you see some hope or some cracks, some people that are open to healing some of the wounds of history. Tell us uh, in the last minute. (laughs) I think one of the
1: issues that that I see Is that too often when we say that that the 11th hour on Sunday is the most segregated hour in America, we immediately want to go straight to Sunday and how can we get it more diverse. That's the last place we need to go. We need to go Monday through Saturday and work on becoming more of a diverse, authentically built, beloved community Monday through Saturday. And in the end, Sunday will take care of itself. Because I think Sundays, yeah. I mean, people yeah. may have just cultural differences. I go to a church called Wayne. That's a 45 minute service. I also go to an AME church. It's an hour and a half. And so, you know, it, it's worship to be it's a part of the fabric in the neighborhood through Saturday. And once you have to take care of that and have authentic beloved community, then we will move on from there and have Sundays that are more diverse
0: come on our our sunday meetings won't change until our living rooms change until that's our, saying, our dinner tables change so that's the place to leave it y'all i wish we had another half hour n- another couple hours but we'll do it again we'll soon do it again we got a lot to talk chris, about chris lar uh, my brother my friend and uh you can see more at redletterchristians.org thanks for joining us y'all we'll see you next week